Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Seppi. I am pleased to be joined by Rob Howe from Hawkeye Nation. Rob, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. Always good to talk Hawkeye sports with you. And I was thinking as we were setting this up, okay, got Kids Day, got Media Day, a lot to talk about. First, let's just touch on the Big Ten media rights as we record this right now. And of course, that could change between when this gets recorded, when this gets posted. But as we record this right now, no deal officially yet, but we know ESPN is out of the picture. It's looking a lot like it's going to be a Fox, CBS, NBC combination there. What are your kind of overall quick thoughts on this? I realize that a lot of people probably have heard enough about media rights, but we'll touch on this quickly. Yeah, there are, as you know, John, layers to this. And depending on your lens that you're looking through is probably how you view it, um, which is the case probably with most things. But for me, some of the things that kind of popped into my mind and ultimately it's about money, right? It's about getting the most money for your conference. And that's what the Big Ten is doing. And uh, I saw a report last night, which would have been Tuesday night, August 9th, that at least from what was reported, that they were going to cut ESPN's games in half and then still charge them a boatload of money. So I really can't blame ESPN in this. Um, I give credit to CBS, NBC, and obviously Fox, who's got most control over this, for stepping up to the plate and and thinking outside the box a little bit. And, you know, for NBC, if they get a, you know, a prime time one game a week in primetime for 350 million a season is just it's just insane and this thing going over a billion i i i have no problem with any of this john to you know just to you know uh in a nutshell um my overall conclusion the one concern i have and this is me just looking more at a broad view and knowing a lot of student athletes at iowa in other sports as i know you do mm-hmm. Not being in on ESPN, I think, hurts men's basketball. I think it hurts women's basketball. I think it hurts wrestling for sure. So that my question would be, when this is complete, how, do, how does the Big Ten plan to get those sports, baseball, out to the viewers? And hopefully they have a plan for that. Because ESPN has been really big for those other sports other than football. And I think from a from a fan standpoint, they just want to know where they can watch the games and hopefully they don't lose any access to games, particularly the non-football games. I think that's a great point with something I don't think necessarily is talked about a lot. Of course, money is the biggest thing, right. number one, two, three, and four from this, where, okay, overall, there's going to be a lot of revenue streams here. Well, a lot more from that revenue stream, I should say, for Iowa, which has many benefits. But you look at it, and Fox is going to have a lot of different channels here, or a lot of different networks to get into a finite number of channels. And if the solution is, okay, we'll make it available on Fox Sports Go, or whatever they're now calling the streaming app, I don't think that's good for women's basketball, for example, when maybe instead you could have gotten an ESPN2 game. I think that's a real downgrade there for 
women's basketball if things go the way that they go. Now there are different possibilities. We could see a situation where Fox sells part of that with like the women's basketball or the wrestling. Maybe they sell that to ESPN. So what we see right now might not necessarily be the end-all be-all, but that's certainly a question in terms of how much exposure will some of those other sports get. Yeah, and ultimately, like you said, it's money. Yeah. And those sports are going to benefit from this by the money that's coming in for those media rights deals. So ultimately, you can't really complain when they're throwing boatloads of cash at you, but you also want to you know, have that exposure and ESPN, like, you know, Tuesday night men's basketball on ESPN against Michigan state at Carver Hawkeye arena. Those are those, those student athletes really look forward to those games. They, they talk about, Hey, we're on ESPN tonight. That's any ESPN's always been kind of that college basketball platform that everybody knows. And I know FS one and Fox have gotten involved, but it's just, it, it isn't the same, but again, like you said, um, the, we just have to be open to the landscape changing and not get too uptight until we see how this all shakes out. Yeah. And then kind of switching gears over to football, then it's a busy week here with local media day on Friday. Of course, that's our biggest chance to see really a lot of the players in terms of interview access compared to the rest of the season. And then kids day practices on Saturday. What are the things that you're most looking forward to hearing about? Um, from an interview perspective, I would say just kind of going around again and talking to the quarterbacks just to kind of see where they, they feel things are. And, and who knows, they may not give us anything. <laughs> anyway, but you have to ask kind of where things are at a week into practice, you know, what, however many weeks we are from the first game. Uh, I think it'd be naive to assume that uh, Spencer Petrus wouldn't be the starter, at least at this point in the season. But you just wonder, and maybe we won't get answers to this, how close the competition really is. I know Kirk wants to have out there that it's close and, and let the competitors know uh, that they have a chance. And that's, that makes perfect sense, especially in this day and age of the transfer portal. <laughs> um, but I think that's probably the the main um, subject that I think people are interested in is where that's going, how that's going to shake out. And then seeing that on Saturday, just kind of backing up what we hear on Friday with what we're able to see with our eyes on Saturday. And then my focus on Saturday is going to be on the offensive line. Um, you know, the offense has to take a step forward this year and it's cliche, but it does all st start up front. And it wasn't good last year. It was terribly inconsistent. You lose your best offensive lineman to the NFL, a first round pick, a generational talent in Tyler Linderbaum. How do they uh, absorb that loss? And then, you know, how does Jack Plum look? He did not have a good end of the season last year and you need him to take a step forward. Um and just, you know, without Justin Britt, where are the pieces fitting on the offensive line? To me, that's the biggest question mark going into this season. Can the offensive line hold up? Can it create holes for the running game? And can it protect the quarterback? And it just didn't do that enough last year. And it seems with the offensive line, last year is me the rebuilding year for it. Everything seemed like. But then you look at it this year, 
Obviously, no Tyler Linderbaum. That's a big one. Then you're without Tyler Shot, returning starter there. Then you're without Cody Ince, who has started games. Of course, he had the injury issues last year, but he's still a starting caliber offensive lineman. Then you have Justin Britt, who started games before. So you're basically without four players who have been able to be, when healthy, contributors to Iowa's offensive line. So this year could be a really young group. If we're really talking about Logan Jones potentially being the first team center after he's playing defensive line last year, credit to him for making that transition. But that's a tough transition to do in one year. For sure. And I mean, if you want to go glass half full, Tyler Linderbaum made that move. But again, as we said a few minutes ago, that's a generational talent. Maybe he's lightning strikes twice for Iowa and Logan Jones. I just, I don't think, I, I think for Iowa, the drop-off can't be precipitous. It's got to be, you have to have somebody in the middle of that line that can hold it down. It doesn't have to be just a beast like Tyler Lindenbaum <laughs> this season. Hopefully it gets to that point, but you can't have any leaks in the boat from that position either. You can't, I mean, it's so important on the offensive line, that that center position, and Iowa has a, a long history of really good players at that position. Um, so hopefully they can absorb it. And then to me, that right tackle spot is still kind of up in the air. You know, they, uh, Nick DeYoung was there at the beginning of last year. He struggled. Jack Plum came in. He had his struggles. Just a lack of consistency there, John. Maybe Connor Colby's the best choice out there. You know, he's a kid that we, you've seen him along with me this offseason. He's oh, yeah. really, he's really bulked up. He looks the yeah. part. And um, we saw in the past with other guys. I mean, Brandon Scherf played guard. And then he shifted out to tackle. That was like the natural progression. Maybe that's the way. So those are the things that you just, those are the questions we have to have answered here. And we'll get our first look at that on Saturday. And then obviously when North Dakota or South Dakota State, excuse me, comes to town, then then uh, the lights are on. It's for real. <laughs> so uh, it'll be interesting to see how much progress they make. And they're going up against a very salty defensive line. So you should, <laughs> you should in practice get prepared for what you're going to see on game day with it, how good and deep Iowa is on the defensive line. And I think that's the hardest part with evaluating this offensive line and the couple opportunities that we have is it isn't like they're going up against the middle of the road defensive <laughs> line here. You look at it, that second team defensive line is really good. You have people on the two deeps or who aren't on the two deeps, excuse me, who could be really good players so right now you don't have Aaron Graves mm -hmm. on the two deeps and I think Kelvin Bell compared him to what was it Tarzan in the spring <laughs> so that kind of tells you everything right there when he's not on the two deeps you have other players who are on you know the two deeps that would be easy first team on a lot of other defenses Lucas Van Ness shares the team lead in sacks last year, and he's still a second-team defensive lineman. That You don't have that very often. So I think that's the hardest part of evaluating is, okay, the offensive line could be decent right now or they could be really struggling, and the results might look the same on Saturday. 
yeah, and oh, by the way, here comes Jack Campbell on a blitz. You know, <laughs> you got to deal with, you know, arguably the best linebacker core uh, in the Big Ten, too, and, and having to account for them as well as the defensive line. So, yeah, this camp certainly should prepare this offensive line. It's just, you, you, you know, all the years you've seen this with Iowa's scheme and the zone blocking scheme, chemistry and continuity is so important. So when you're, you're moving guys in and out and there's rotations, that's what you worry about. You want to be able to get some, you know, solidify at least a group of, you know, six, maybe seven guys, your core guys, and get them as many reps as possible moving through this month. And I think we could see Mason Richmond take another step up. I think there is a case for optimism too, where if he takes another step up after kind of being thrown into the fray last year, you've Connor Colby, who I think is going to be an all big 10 offensive lineman, if not this year at some point during his Iowa career. So you have two players there where you don't really have many questions. I'll be curious to see what we see out of Tyler Ellsbury. Um, he's another person that maybe could take that next step up, but it's a needed thing. As you said, with this zone blocking scheme, the other position too that I'm going to be curious about is wide receiver. Also a position where they're going up against a talented defensive group on the other side in practice. You have Keegan Johnson, you have Arlen Bruce and you have Nico Regani. And then it's a pretty big drop off after that. And it's harder when you don't have that fourth or fifth guy, especially because injuries happen. You know, Keegan Johnson had kind of the fluke thing right before the Citrus Bowl, where he was really not, you know, in game shape. Um, and, okay, you need somebody else there. And I thought that Charlie Jones could have had a larger role in the offense this year had he stuck around. Instead, he could be the number one or number two receiver in Purdue. So I, I see very much how he's thinking of it. But when you don't have the Charlie Jones of the world back, it makes it a little harder when you have a guy like Alec Wick on the two deeps already, nothing against Alec Wick, but at his year of experience and as somebody who came in as a walk-on, it's really getting thrown into the fire there if he is indeed the number four wide receiver. If it's Brody Brecht, you have a guy who's been splitting time between baseball and football, which obviously has its challenges too. Yeah, and I think Brody's dealing with a hamstring injury or has been. Uh, he got shut down in his summer summer baseball league because the ham. I don't think it's severe, but it's tweaked enough that they have to be careful with it. And I worry. I mean, he's missed development time, as you said, because of baseball. I think they're doing the best they can with that share between baseball and football. But it's hard. to. There's a reason why people don't play two sports at this level. It's really hard to do. Um, so hopefully he's gotten enough on the football field in the last year to make some progress and be helpful this fall. I worry, as you said about Keegan Johnson, I mean, he missed the bowl and then he missed all of spring practice. And you're talking about a guy who's only a second year player. That's a lot of development time. He really needs to make up ground uh, in this camp and then, you know, hit the ground running when games start. Uh, similar with Arlen Bruce, you're asking a lot from two, from two really young guys to come in and, 
be a major focal point of your offense already. I'm not saying they're not capable of doing it, but you kind of have to see it. Um, You look at a guy like Deontay Vines, who's been in the program now for several years. He really needs to take a step forward. Um, I really like Alec Wick. I, I got a chance to see him at Regina several times. Really, really nice player. Catches everything thrown in his area. Um, and hopefully he can help out too. Um, but you just worry. There's just no, it just, John, it just doesn't seem like there's any margin for error there, an injury or something like that. And it's could be really costly. It'll be interesting. Kirk, and he usually doesn't let the cat out of the bag as, <laughs> as he did as much in Indiana, but my ears perked up when he said, you know, we may have to play more tight ends, go more 12 and, you know, we'll see. Maybe, you know, with Stilianos coming in as a grad transfer and you hope Luke Lachey takes a step forward. And I think one of the better, you know, tight ends in the country and Sam Laporta, maybe you just have to lean on those guys a little bit more. We could see some creative personnel grouping like yeah. that. And I think that can lessen the challenge of not having as much wide receiver depth. I don't think it eliminates the problem. But it's at least one part of the remedy for it where, okay, if you can have two tight ends on the field on a consistent basis, okay, then you don't have as much of a need for that fourth wide receiver. So I think that can help. Um, But we'll see on that. But when you have three tight ends, that's always a nice luxury. So it's kind of tight end you to an extreme this year. Yeah, no question. And they also, uh, is it Pazluzzi? Pascuzzi? Yeah, Pascuzzi. He's he's caught a bunch of, you know, he's gotten a bunch of of, uh, praise this offseason too. So, you know, they go four deep at that position. Like you said, maybe that's that's the way they lean. And I don't know, um, you know, Gavin Williams and LaShawn Williams, I think are pretty good pass receivers out of the backfield. Maybe you get a little bit more creative there. I don't know about the new guys, uh, Johnson and Patterson. Uh, that are coming in, the two freshman running backs. I don't know what they bring. I'm looking forward to getting a chance to see them on Saturday because oftentimes, as you know, during these, they don't want to give the top running backs, get them banged up too much in live. Yeah. Uh, so they'll give the young guys a chance, some run, and hopefully we get to see that a little bit on Saturday as well. Then let's switch gears here to the defense. We were talking earlier about how this defensive line is really deep, and it's a group that I'm excited to see what they can do even later in practice when we're not seeing the first team guys, what does Deontay Craig do? He's another person that I didn't mention earlier. You know, you have a situation where you can absorb an injury at this position and you'd still be okay. Yeah, no question. And I think, you know, a guy like John Wagner, who's kind of just been a guy you know, a guy that's kind of taken reps and been steady and set the edge and all the things that are asked of him, he does. Maybe he takes a step forward this year. Maybe he's a little bit more explosive. Maybe the things slow down even more for him. Uh, Ethan Herkett uh, from Cedar Rapids Zabers, another guy who we heard a lot of positive things about last year. Then he got hurt and it kind of stunted his growth a little bit. I think he had a pretty good uh, off season. And I think he's a guy that could, you know, push his way. You mentioned Aaron Graves. 
I, John, I really like Noah Shannon and Logan Lee. I think those guys are underrated defensive tackles and just really solid up the middle. With those two guys, Campbell and Kayvon Merriweather, kind of like in baseball when you talk about up the middle defense, that's really, really strong. And that's not even to talk about guys like Riley Moss and uh, Terry Roberts and and uh, who's the guy I'm thinking, the other cornerback on Jamari Jamari Harris. I mean, there's, there's depth and strength in all of those positions as well. The one question mark for me on defense is Quinn Schulte and I'm not doubting him. I just haven't seen it yet, but Mm -hmm. that's an important, that's the quarterback of the defense, that free safety spot. The coaches have confidence in him. Phil Parker has confidence in him. I have confidence in Phil Parker's coaching and and talent evaluation. So I'm not like freaking out about it. I just want to see how he holds up because teams are going to go at it. And I think you look at it and everyone else we've seen, it's really unusual where you have a situation where it seems like at pretty much any other position, the projected starter, we have a lot to go off of from last year which is a really nice luxury for Iowa's defense. And that's the one position that we just haven't gotten as much of a wealth of experience from. Obviously, the walk-on route has worked well in the past at that position, whether you think about Jack Kerner, whether you think of Jake Gervais. So you have a history here of the Quinn Schulte route or the route he's taking working, but that's just the one thing we haven't seen yet. Um, yeah, I guess you could add in what happens at cash. That's where I was going with that. Like, just kind of how much do they, how much do they use cash and Jason, Justin Jacobs ability to cover? Can they play more four three this year? It's going to be interesting to see now with Belton out of the picture, what the percentages are with those alignments. And, you know, I'm a fan of having the best 11 players out there and you can make do with the best 11. And if you're doing that, we could be seeing a lot more 4-3. Now, there are these certain situations, though, as we go into more and more of a spread world where, okay, there are going to be times where you really need that fifth safety out there. But that's another thing that could. So I guess that's a half question mark going into this year with the defense because you have the safety of Justin Jacobs there. Well, the safety of having a player like linebacker Justin Jacobs there that helps you a lot. And then, you know, I, I know that his teammates and coaches are pretty high on what Cooper DeGene's done here since he's been on campus and he looks like the leader for that cash spot. So I, I like it like you, John. I think they have that versatility. If you have somebody running a spread at you, you can go more. If it's an in between, type offense you can kind of figure out what's working best for you and then if it's wisconsin you put jacobs in there yeah like (laughs) the jeans time against wisconsin it's pretty safe to say will be coming almost exclusively at safety yes and probably not so much at cash there but you know we live in more and more of a spread world so i don't think that's changing anytime soon no, and, and I think for Iowa, especially if you go back, you know, three, four, five years when it just was so rigid and didn't want to move off a of 4-3 and didn't want to run nickel and dime at times when it needed to, I really like the 
kind of the evolution of this defense that really hasn't lost its identity, but is more versatile now and more able to match up with what opponents do and what opponents throw at it. I really like how it's evolved and that's why it's one of the best defenses in the country. And I think switching over to special teams, maybe one of the things I'm most looking at for Saturdays and be what happens at kicker. Spring was not really a great showing for Blom or Stevens. Uh, I think there's been a lot of time for them to develop. Obviously, the spring conditions were not easy with the wind and such. But that's a situation, too, where based on how this Iowa offense, it's not going to be the highest red zone efficiency offense out there. That's unless we see stunning changes and then you know i will eat my words there but unless we see stunning changes this is probably being an offense that relies on three points on a lot of their trips and really it's easy to take for granted that spot when you've had keith duncan and caleb shudak this is to me probably you know you don't really think of it as on the key positions of the offense but it really i think is yeah Folks that have watched the 23 years of Kirk Ferentz understand how important the place kicker is. And when you play close games week in and week out, for the most part, it's really, really important. And, you know, we, you can go that back through the list of the last, you know, decade, decade plus of, you know, big moments in Iowa history, you know, Daniel Murray and, you know, Marshall Kane and Keith Duncan, as you mentioned, and guys that have made big kicks to win big games and as much as we see on Saturday, and hopefully what you hope for on Saturday is those guys have a good day and it boosts their confidence because so much of that is mental. In talking to kickers throughout the years from, you know, Nate Kading to Kyle Schlicker to guys that I've talked to, Keith Duncan, how much mental um, strength is a part of and confidence is a part of this and that's really what they need with fans in the stands having a good day and boosting their confidence because you just don't know when you run out in front of seventy thousand with the game on the line what's going to happen so as much as they can build up the confidence and put these guys in pressurized situations in practice it's super important I, i agree with you john i think this I think place kicker is one of the more important, if not the most important battle in camp. Yeah. And you have two people that have shown a lot of potential at times, but the point that Kirk brought up in Indy is it really is going to go down to consistency here. Yeah, no question. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the scenario that you don't want to have is both guys struggling and then having to pick one of those struggling guys. You want at least one guy to emerge with that consistency. If you have two guys that are inconsistent, then it gets a, it's a really muddy situation. Yeah. And this is me probably our best full sample since spring, considering that, okay, we see the social media clips, but you can only judge so much off of those kinds of things. So this is me really a great sample test here. Yeah, you never now, know. Like week two, Iowa State comes down to a you know a, la- a la- last second or late field goal. Man, that's pressure that you cannot simulate. 
And then the other question mark on special teams that I don't think I'm as concerned about because there are a lot of athletic candidates for this job. I think it's easy to take for granted, but there are a lot of candidates here is the return duties. I think Charlie Jones kind of made it look easy sometimes. And that's to me something I'll be curious to see too, who's getting those first team and second team reps. I think a lot of guys are volunteering. I think a lot of guys want the job and that's good. You want that competition. And it's interesting. um, I'm interested in talking uh, to LeVar on Friday on how you evaluate that. Because as you said, Charlie Jones, it's kind of an innate ability, you know, that you kind of, you think about that Illinois game and just kind of his vision. And I just, I, I don't know how much you can teach and how much is just natural and how you evaluate that. I think that's going to be the interesting uh, part of this camp and how they land on a guy. And we've seen before, just because they land on a guy doesn't mean they'll stick with a guy. Miko Organi mm-hmm. had the punt returning job a few years ago. It didn't work out and they made a switch. So um, what we see week one may not be what we see week four or five. It's I think at, at some point, and maybe this is with kicker too, John, that there's a, in-game evaluation that's going to happen here just because what you see in camp and what you think is going to work may not work. So yeah, it's really important. The, the kicker and return guys are super important because we know how important special teams is to this program. And you bring up a great point about the instincts. I think it's easy to kind of forget how much the returner has to figure out in those four seconds. Yeah. There. Especially punt return. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't have much of a margin for error there, as I think it was the Wisconsin game kind of showed. Yes. So yeah. that'll be an interesting thing. I think there are a lot of people that I would be interested to see how they do there. So I wouldn't necessarily hit the panic button by any means at that spot, but it's an important position. It's interesting, too, because you think I, I'm just going through my mental Rolodex of years and, you know, I. Desmond King really, really wanted it. And there was the talk of, well, do we put a guy who's so important to our defense back there in this position? And they did. And he was really good. Um, do you do that with a guy like Riley Moss? Who's had he an injury like history? Yeah. But who's, who's had an injury history, who you really need at corner, but could really help you on special teams. Again, that's kind of one of the areas that I'm interested in talking to LeVar about what goes through that process, how you weigh certain factors, but I'm with you. I think there are capable candidates back there. It's, it's landing on the right one and uh, hoping it works out. And obviously it's still early. I think as we're recording this, it's been one week since the first fall practice. So a lot can, should, and will change between now and September 3rd against South Dakota State. But overall, if you had to make a prediction right now, what do you think this team is record-wise? I, uh, when did I, I published my game-by-game game on Monday, Sunday, Monday, somewhere this week. I landed on 9-3, and three, which I landed on last year, uh, and they ended up being 10-2. and two. Um, and usually people get mad at me unless I pick 12 and 0. Uh, you know how that goes. But uh, I had them losing and I try to go a little bit, you know, away from chalk and what, you know, the, you know, maybe the gambling lines or point spreads are 
Um, I had them losing to Purdue, Ohio State, and Minnesota. Um, all road games. So the sold-out Kinnick will be happy for the seven home teams that they have this year because <laughs> I have Iowa going undefeated at home. Um, but those were just kind of the games that I looked at and said, you know, these are close games, toss-up games on the road. Um, so I'm going to go with that. Whereas, you know, I think a lot of people will have Iowa losing to Michigan at home. That one feels to me like one of those magical days or nights in Kinnick where like last year against Penn state where the fans and that environment are just too much for Michigan. You've got the revenge factor could be off on that, but that's kind of, kind of how I look at it. I think if I was going to compete in the West, and I think it will. Um, you know, I, I think South Dakota State, Nevada should be wins. You should win those mm-hmm. games at home. You never know. Early in the season, Iowa's had some clunkers. Uh, but you look at the rest of the schedule. Really, I don't think you have business losing to Nebraska at home. I don't think you have business losing to Illinois. Um, who else am I missing? Rutgers. Northwestern. Northwestern. I think those are games, if you want to win the West, you have to win those games. Um, because the other games, it's asking a lot to win every toss-up game. So that's kind of – but it seems like this is where we we are every year coming into the <laughs> season. You're just – there's game, there's a few games you feel like, okay, they're going to win these games. A few games where, like, man, they, they don't have a very good chance of winning in Columbus. They just don't. And, no. you know, maybe magic strikes and they win that game. It's just history tells us that's not going to be a good game. But if you remember – or a winnable game, I should say. There have been good games there that haven't gone Iowa's way. The Nate Kading fake field goal <laughs> touchdown in 2003 comes to mind. Um, but uh, amazing place. I look forward to your reaction going to the big house or going to the shoe this year. Is, your, is it your first trip there? <laughs> yeah, that will be. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. It's a, it's a it's one of those bucket list stadiums if you're a college football fan. But I'll close with this on, on the schedule, John. If you remember this time last year, People were handwringing, oh, crap, we got to play Indiana and Iowa State coming out of the gate. Two teams ranked higher than Iowa. This is going to be a gauntlet. Didn't turn out that way. No. Much <laughs> different. Yeah. So what we think now, we don't know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I am slightly less optimistic about this team. If I had to make a bet right now, I'd say even four. I think... I'm with you on Ohio State. Um, I'm a little less optimistic about Michigan. I think they're just all around solid. Um, and it is still the same team that won 42 to three against a similar Iowa team last year. I think that's, I think it can be a competitive game. It can be a really good game. But if I had to place a bet, I'd probably say that that's going to be a tough one for Iowa to pull off. And then I think they go two and two against the teams of Wisconsin, Minnesota, Purdue. And I even put Nebraska as maybe a game that could shock. No, people, you're falling, you're falling for it, John. Don't fall <laughs> for that Nebraska hype. Don't. So, like, <laughs> that one is like clearly the number four on that list. I've heard other people say that, though. I've heard other people say this is Nebraska's year. I'll believe it when I see it. You know, I just think that you can't overlook that game. When yeah. you look at and it's been close. I, yeah. yeah, it's been, it's usually close. Yeah, where I think that's a game you have to be a little concerned about. 
Now, if I had to take a guess of the two and two, which are the two wins, which are the two losses, I'd say probably Nebraska and Minnesota would be my gut would be the two wins. And I'd say Wisconsin and Purdue would be the two losses. I think Purdue is just a tough matchup. Um, you're going to West Lafayette. You look at, you have a really high profile or really high octane offense that can beat Wisconsin or can beat Iowa's defense. So I look at that history too, where, okay, I think that's a tough game. Wisconsin, I think that's always going to be a good game. Um, the similarities in the schemes, I think, kind of make it almost like a guaranteed good game. Uh, Minnesota, I think, is interesting. Obviously, Iowa needs to be able to have more than 20 minutes of possession to win that one. But I look at it, and and you could probably make the same argument here with Graham Burtz in Wisconsin, but Tanner Morgan is Tanner Morgan. I think that's the shortcoming for Minnesota. Um, and then we talked about Nebraska. Who knows? They're like the wild card team. You never know what you're going to get with them. Probably the best, what were they, three and nine, if I'm remembering right. Probably the best three and nine team. In the history of college football. What do they have, yeah. like 23 transfers or something? I mean, they oh, yeah. really overhauled their roster. So it's hard to even know what we're going to see from them. Yeah, where that's where they really are the wild card, where they're the complete opposite with the transfer portal with compared to Iowa. You go on either side of the Missouri River and you get complete different extremes. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was doing a radio appearance for a Nebraska radio station and like they were asking about like changes via the transfer portal. And it's like, eh, not really that much of any. They had a few players leave. They got a grad transfer tight end. That's kind of it. Nothing like Nebraska. So that, but I could see a nine and three. I think if things, if the offense really finds its groove, which I think is a massive if, okay, maybe a 10 win season is possible, especially if you count 10 wins, including the bowl game. I think that's doable with an improved offense. But I think really it's hard to underscore enough how important the offense is to whatever happens this season. And, you know, that'll be Saturday will be our first chance to take a look at that. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the offense has to pick up more of the slack when it comes to complimentary football. I think Iowa max, maxed out what it can do with an offense that's not that good last year. It got – just incredible play from defense and special teams. I don't know if, you know, I think the defense could be better, but I don't know that the schedule is harder. So that you have, you have to factor that in. The offense just has to be better this year. Yeah. You can't go two years in a row with that level of offensive production in almost, you name it, which stat. It isn't like, okay, we're cherry picking this one stat that really shows the, Iowa offense being in the bottom tier. No, it's kind of across the board in several different measures, regardless of whether you go more traditional stats or more analytical stats, all of them were not pretty in 2021. And 
when you have those crossover games last year that, as you mentioned, Indiana, how everyone thought that was going to be a real tough game. When you got Penn State, that did not turn out to be as good as everyone expected. And then Maryland, I think even people expected a little more out of them than what they were. I don't think they're going to get that fortunate with the crossover games this year. I think Ohio State, you can't really, you wouldn't be very surprised if they went significantly below expectations, like some of those 2021 crossover opponents would. Michigan, you know, there's maybe a little more variability there, but still Michigan is Michigan. And then Rutgers, of course, is the exception on the crossovers. Rutgers is Rutgers. And I say that in the opposite way of Michigan is Michigan. Yeah, I think I saw the point spread in the Ohio State game is already out. It's 21 and a half. So more than Only three 21 and a half. And the over under on Iowa's win total, I know you saw this is seven and a half, which a lot of people think is really low. But I think people are looking at it like you're looking at it and saying, mm-hmm. man, this schedule is tough. Can they get to eight wins with that offense? That's yeah. basically if you're just evaluating this team objectively, that's a fair question. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, if it's a nine and three season, they go to a nice bowl game. Tampa is a wonderful place to be in January. So I don't think any sports writer would object to that scenario uh, with whatever they're going to call that bowl game now. Uh, I can't remember. It's always the Outback Bowl. It will always be the Outback Bowl. (laughs) It'll be like me growing up as a Brewers fan. I'll always think of the MLB (laughs) stadium in Milwaukee as Miller Park, even though it's American Family Field. I still call it that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I have a bunch of friends. So like on their Snapchat stories, like scratch out with the like marker, the American family <laughs> field and still like right in Miller Park. So, Tradition is hard to get past. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think it really goes down to the offense. It's hard to state that enough. Right now, I haven't seen enough to believe that there is going to be some major change from what we saw in 2021. Now, Saturday could be the first step in changing that, but I need to see it before I believe it. I think a lot of people are in the same spot, in the same have of the same mindset. That's like I said earlier, it may have been before we started recording. Um, I appreciate Brian Ferentz's uh, availability this offseason and talking through things that were going on with the offense. Um, but time for talking is over. It's time, time to see the results. Yeah, it's easy to say that, yeah, you're really working hard to change things. But time will tell, September 3rd. And the other thing, too, is this offense could look good for the first four weeks just because of who their first four opponents are. Agreed. Where, like, I think you can almost split up how does the offense do in September versus October, November where against South Dakota State, against a down Iowa State team, against a really down Nevada team, and then against Rutgers, there could be some reason for optimism after if you just look at those four games with this offense. But the challenges of Michigan, you know, Ohio State, 
when you get into those games in October, when you get Wisconsin. into Wisconsin games, <laughs> that could be a reality check right there, possibly for Iowa's offense. So I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of September, everyone's thinking, oh, wow, maybe it has changed. But let's wait to see what happens October 1st when Michigan comes to town. Six and all last year, top five in the country, and it just did not, the offense did not, if the offense would have just made incremental progress the rest mm-hmm. of the season, who knows what could have happened last year. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would, I'm with you. I would caution people not to get too high early season with the mm-hmm. offense. Let's see it. And, and I think Iowa State's got a pretty good defense. So, but I also expect them to have a very conservative game plan against Iowa State like they did last year. Yeah. And you look at it, I don't think Iowa's offense needs to all of a sudden become Purdue to for Iowa to have success. Where I think it was between Petrus and Padilla, I want to say it's a 55% completion percentage between them combined. I think Spencer is at 57%. If you're in the low 60s, that's probably enough to get by against a lot of teams in the Big Ten. You'd like to see it higher than that, obviously, but you can get by probably at the low 60s. So gotta be over 60. Gotta be over 60%. You're right. In this offense, you have to be. Yeah. And And you gotta run the football. Yeah. That's the other thing, too, is even if some of the three yard losses from last year were two yard gains. That's a five yard difference right there with similar looking plays at the beginning. So I think there are be times where the offensive line might have their hands full, but if you can at least get it to not be second and 11, second and 12, third and 14, that would help this offense too a lot. No question. We didn't even talk about the running backs really on this podcast. So <laughs> Um, I I'm, I'm encouraged and I'm hopeful that these two guys will be good. And uh, I think they will be. Um, but I, I, I think maybe this off season, people have been underestimating the loss of Tyler Goodson. He was a yeah. pretty good back. Oh yeah. And especially like on receiving, I think there are a lot of little things that he did. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it drove people crazy how he kind of danced in the backfield and took a three yard loss, which was part of what I was referring to before, yeah. but there are also a lot of good things that he did that, okay, you don't have him, but I really think the key there for the running backs is, okay, how much space is this offensive line going to give them? Where I don't think it's fair for either of them to have expectations for either of them that if the offensive line is having a rough year, that they're all of a sudden going to be able to, you know, break free for these huge runs left and right, despite not getting, I think really it's the blocking that's going to be the determining factor here. Yeah, no question. I think there were times last year where Tyler Goodson could have just gone, just said, hey, I got to hit it. Um, but there are other times where he had no chance. And that's what you have to eliminate, the amount of times where they have no chance because I don't care who you have back there. If there's you know two, three guys just standing waiting for you, there's nothing you can do. And uh Goes back to our early part of this discussion, John. The offensive line has got to be better. You know, it, this that's all going to the quarterbacks have to be better, but it starts up front. Yeah, and it's a young group, so you know improvement is a little easier to talk about when okay, you have all these juniors and seniors who you're working with here, 
but it's a group that still hasn't gone through many off seasons that George Barnett hasn't had much time to really do a lot of teaching with. So, well, Iowa has its work cut out for it. Yeah, no question. They, we talked, like I said earlier, it's a developmental program. So it's just these questions kind of move around from position to position year to year. But offensive line is so important. And that being the focus of where we want to see the most progress along with quarterback um, leaves, a, you know, leaves us to the point where we were talked about earlier. Let's see it. Let's hope for, you know, hope, hopefully they just hit the ground running and, you know, make the progress they need to make. Um, but I think it, it's definitely fair to wonder and, and, you know, have some concerns. Yeah. But we'll get the first step towards answering those concerns or exaggerate or emphasizing those concerns. First step will be. No, you were right. It's exaggerating. Whatever we see on Saturday will be blown <laughs> out of proportion, not just from the media, but from the fans that are there. Oh, yeah. You know, because that's our <laughs> sample size. And there are other schools that give more public or more media access to practices. And if Iowa was one of those places, well, then we wouldn't be making such a big deal out of, okay, why did Petrus have a really bad spring practice? But we've got what we have to work with. So, and that ain't changing. No, but. <laughs> We'll see. It'll be interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to Friday and Saturday, finally getting into football season. Can actually start to see the things that I feel like we've been talking about for the last eight months. So it'll be good to finally get the ball rolling on that. No questions. Off seasons are long around here. <laughs> well, Rob, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. It was great to, to talk some Hawkeye football. Yeah. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Hawk Off the Press. I'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.